Hello and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. Thank you for being here. This is our first post-election podcast. And what a what a week, what a couple of weeks it has been. I've honestly lost track of time to some degree. I guess we're a week and a half post-election. Our president has been elected. The current president is not accepting that. As of today, Friday, as we're recording this, Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina's results were... Um, I guess predicted. And so today is the official day that media um, outlets have called the Electoral College 306 to 232. Wow. Which is, of course, the same margin by which um, President Trump won. <clears throat> I mean, I, and I think you know. I think the other the other big news is that the election is over, and as everyone predicted, now that the election is over, COVID is gone. COVID's gone. It's not a big deal anymore. Um, it was all it was all a political. The virus was a political stunt, and now that the election is over, we can quit talking about that pesky fake virus, and all go back to our normal lives. It is a fake right? virus. All right, well, before we even, we are clearly chomping at the bit and excited that we've missed two weeks. So those voices you heard, of course, are Bailey Perkins and Scott Melson. Hello to both of you. Hello. And for the for the love, the virus isn't fake. It's worse than ever. Just as a disclaimer, um, since I am technically a doctor, I don't want to be accused of peddling false information. So everyone, please stay home. Don't leave your house if you don't have to and wear a mask if you do. It's 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 truly worse now than it's ever been. So surely our listeners know by now that uh, humor and. I mean, one one hopes, you know, one hopes. So that's all. That's all we can do is hope these days. Thoughts and prayers and masks. Um, also joining us this week is State Representative Cindy Munson. Hello, Madam Representative. Hi, everyone. Thanks for being here. Um, uh, Representative Munson just won her reelection a week and a half ago. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah. Campaigning in a global pandemic was interesting, to say the least. So yep. I am glad that that part of my life is over, at least for the next couple months. Right. <laughs> well, and you know, I think listeners who may be familiar with your political history and your race, you have had a number of unusual circumstances from your very first election where you were running for a seat where the, the incumbent, the previous person died while in office. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. I challenged the late Representative David Dank in 2014, and then he passed away in 2015. So I turned around and ran, and then I had to run for re-election in 2016, 18, and 20. So I have basically been running for office and campaigning and knocking doors for like seven years. If if the constituents in your district don't know you by now, I don't know what else you could do. Surely you've knocked on nearly every door there. Yeah, and if I'm... Oh, I, say, I want to emphasize the history that Cindy did as well. There's a lot of uh, political folks in um, Oklahoma that credit Cindy for leading the blue wave that took place even in 2018. 
um, because her election then spurred more seats to turn blue within Oklahoma County. And so um, Cindy's hard work and significance has been uh, connected to um, seeing Oklahoma City and Oklahoma County become a little bit more purple. Yeah. Yeah. And it well, is <clears throat> tough work, but we continue to do it. Yeah. Well, thank you for your service to our state and to the constituents of, of your district. Uh, so I think today we're just going to get right into it because I know that you are short on time. And the the topic of the day is, I mean, one of the overarching narratives that we have experienced here in Oklahoma City and a good chunk of the state of Oklahoma. I guess it's three weeks ago then, uh, almost three weeks ago. So the week before election, we had a historic ice storm that uh, you know ravaged our state. Uh, I didn't have power at my house for almost two weeks. Uh, I didn't have internet for a full two weeks, just got that back the other day. And that story is not uncommon, right? I think all of us lost power for some amount of time there. And my neighbor, as we speak, yeah, listeners might be able to listen closely and hear their generator going. My neighbors behind me still don't have power. The guys have been out there working on it all day today. Again, this is the second or third time that they've had electrical workers out there working on it. And and that means I can't imagine how disruptive their life has been. And that has been the case for a number of folks um, in Oklahoma City, particularly and businesses. Yeah, yeah, and businesses. And uh, Representative Munson, that led to you and some of your colleagues issuing a press release the other day. Could you tell us a little bit about that? And maybe we'll start the conversation right there. Yeah, I, you know, I'll start with my, like you mentioned, Andy, my own lived experience. I, I went 14 days without power. My power was just restored uh, Monday afternoon and it's Friday. So I'm just now sort of unpacking and uh, my house still reeks of spoiled food. I cannot get the smell out. Um, and so, you know, I, I mean, a pandemic and an ice storm going into election day is not ideal. <laughs> and so, you know, just trying to survive day by day, hour by hour, you know, and of course I was hearing from folks and as I was able to get back out to Doorknock, um, I was in an area of my district where the power wasn't out for very long. And, you know, a few people, it went out for a day or two and it came back on pretty quickly. But um, in the core area of my district, in the central part where uh, Representative Walkie and I sort of meet up on Northwest Expressway, that's where our district split. And then Representative Mickey Dollins, who is on the south side of Oklahoma City, we were hearing from constituents regularly whose power had not been restored. Obviously, I knew about my neighbors and, and, um, and my neighborhood because of my own uh, outage. And uh, but then they're sort of on social media, which is what happens. People follow all of us. So they started to kind of cross communicate about, you know, well, this is going on in my neighborhood. What's happening in your area and seeing some of us speak up. And so uh, when I could finally catch a breath, I was able to kind of sit down and use my social media platforms to ask folks, you know, if you're out of out of power or your power hasn't been restored, if you could just tell me where you're where you're at. Um, because the red dots don't really tell me a lot. I just see dots. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't see, uh, you know, human beings. What is what is it that they're going through? If I can connect them to a service, how can I do that? Um, and so I just I, I thought, you know, and I'm not seeing a ton in the media. So I reached out to my colleagues and said, I think we need to be elevating this in the media and using, you know, some official communication to start getting 
some conversation going and um, and let people know we hear you, we see you, though I can't change everything in the snap of a finger. In fact, I said that um, I can I can advocate for my neighbors and I can find out what's going on as much as possible. So since then, I've been on talking about OG&E and power being restored and out. <laughs> um, I did not think that this is what I'd be facing right after Election Day. So. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, I think a couple of things and we've alluded to this, but I think to just put some a little bit of rough numbers to things. og said, and I think I mean, I'm you know, I don't think I've been alive for og entire history, but I've seen a lot of ice storms. I've seen a lot of power outages. And og says this is the largest outage that they've had, like in their history. This was truly unprecedented in that way. It's one of the earliest ice storms we've ever had. I think it's the most severe ice storm we've ever had. And at this this early in the year. And so or this early in the season, I should say. I mean, at one point, I want to say there was, I think OG&E themselves had close to 400,000 people without power. And then all across Oklahoma, where the ice storm really kind of centered, it was something close to like 500,000, maybe even more. I mean, there was like a lot of people without power. And one of the things that made this so devastating was it hit Oklahoma City like head on and where a city that um, if you're not from here, people would be surprised to learn we have a pretty um, extensive tree canopy. Um, and most of our electrical lines, once you're out of the suburbs, once you're in the kind of the city center, most of our electrical lines, electrical lines are above ground. And so lots of trees, lots of ice and above ground electrical lines obviously creates a situation where this this can happen. But and it's never two happened. Days of rain. Before. Yeah. And yes. two days of rain. Yes. You know, and I'll you know, on the on the one hand, like <laughs> I I feel for I feel for Ogini a little bit. Um, I certainly feel more for the people that were without power for two weeks. Um, but like, I think that there's, I think things like this, I think things like this happen and things that most of us have never, ever thought about. Suddenly we have to think about a lot. Right. And it's, I think difficult for people to understand, like, well, there was a power truck on my street and like, now it's gone. And like, somebody has power and now I don't. And you've, you know, most of us, I think you've probably never thought about the fact that there's like, you've got transmission lines, you have distribution lines and you have to have service lines. And like the service line that goes to your house, like if you fix the service line, it doesn't matter if the distribution line doesn't have power. And if you fix the distribution line, but the server, the transmission line is out, then it doesn't matter if the distribution line is fixed. So they have a process that they go to in like order to fix these things that doesn't like, and I, the reason I say I, I empathize is because that's we face that sometimes. Like in my job, folks come to us with a problem, and it's like, okay, well, we're going to run some tests, and it's like, well, why aren't why aren't you testing for this other thing? And it's like, because I understand that the thing you would like to test for, like that could cause your symptoms, but only like one in every like ten million people have that thing. And so first, we're going to test for these other five things that are like way more common. <laughs> and so we're and so there's like a process that we follow. Now the flip side of that though. I think, I think, I guess what I'm saying is, I think Ogini, in many ways, it seems like did the best that they could once this happened. But to me, and Representative Munson, you tell me if I'm wrong about this. To me, this happened because we've had years of neglect and maintenance that hasn't been done on some of these lines, in particular the tree canopies that surround these lines. And it seems like that's definitely worse in some parts of the city than in other parts of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and so this is one of those deals where, you know, you say an, uh, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Well, like 
maybe a couple million dollars a year in prevention could have saved having to bring in 4,000 workers from out of state and work 24 seven to restore power to half a million people. Um, I don't know what's well. And to, to be clear, it's, I don't think it's that they weren't doing it at all. Cause I've seen them do it in sure. my neighborhood. In fact, a lot of my neighbors were very upset. They, some of their trees got hacked up last summer. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but those power lines were intact the whole time, right? And it's because they cleaned it. But from what we've heard, they had scaled back their operations. And and maybe therein lies part of the yeah. problem. Yeah. And I um, one thing I wanted to highlight about your question, Scott, is that Representative Dollins, um, as he does, he uh, I guess he talked to a line worker from out of state and um, and and that individual, I'm not sure who it was, but said that um, there could be improvements made in in terms of prevention. Um, And so I think that's a conversation we need to have. I also want to echo that I have, you know, an immense amount of gratitude for the line workers and customer service, you know, folks who have been fielding calls, people who have come from across the country to our state to help us out. I mean, there's all of us, I believe, are grateful. I think my biggest critique when it comes to what could have been done in that moment because of the historical nature and because of the size of the disaster, um, I think something in leadership that's so important, whether you're in public service or a private corporation or whatever work you're doing, you know, putting a face to the brand, to the, you know, to OG&E in this instance, and to just show empathy by, by getting on a screen to get on television or on social media or using their communication outlets to say, you know, we see you, this is a historical ice storm that we are dealing with and we are trying to get through it as quickly and as best we can because we're also in a pandemic. And so folks are by themselves and they're isolating and quarantining and medications are vital and and all of that. And I think that if I've heard anything outside of the long-term planning and long-term conversations we need to have, what's come up the most is communication from my constituents. And as a customer, um, there's nothing I appreciate more than somebody stepping out and, and humanizing what it is that they're doing to say, this is a hard time. We get it. And, and we're doing everything we can. In fact, here's our plan to give as much information as they can to, to calm people's anxieties, especially in a time like right now. You're raising a a really important point because, for the public standpoint, it comes across as Oklahoma was caught flat-footed, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And there's confusion for the public of knowing who to go to and where the buck stops on this issue. And so we've seen people um, take it out on certain leaders when, um, you know, they're doing the best they can, but we know that even when it comes to regulating um, utilities and things, that it's up to the Oklahoma Corporation Commission to be thinking about those different things. And I know there's a lot of folks in the public who didn't even know that maybe that entity existed or their role in um, ensuring that more people got power sooner and their role in this process. And so could you talk about what that looks like for elected leaders as far as knowing how to point people where to go to, to take issues like this when they arise. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, to Andy's point about all the 
campaigns I've had the last seven years, you know, I show up on people's doorsteps. They know they can call me. They know they can email me or send me a message over Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, and I will respond and I'll show up. And I think many times what's frustrating for my constituents is when they call and I say, well, I don't have a ton of, no pun intended, but power over that. Um, But the Oklahoma Corporation Commission does. They are the regulatory body over our public utilities. Um, But it is so often the case that most people don't even know who their corporation commissioner, who the corporation commissioners are, that there are three of them, that in fact, one was on the ballot just three you know, less than three weeks ago. And I say that to say that what I appreciate about what you all do is is highlighting and educating and, and bringing awareness to these types of things. And, and hopefully your listeners will look into who the three corporation commissioners are and um, understand that they are elected officials and they we are their constituents and we can go to them with these um, issues. Um, but But also, you know, I mean, even even if sometimes the frustrations are pointed at me, um, I even have to remind myself to take a deep breath. You know, it's like they're coming to me because they trust me. They know they can talk to me. And then how can I look in my purview of work? What can I do as a state legislator, as a state representative? What can I do? And if I can't, how can I advocate for my constituents? But yes, in this particular instance, the Corporation Commission is the one to be going to with uh, with, you know, heated um, advice on how to deal with these, these Wait, issues. So you're saying that there is a whole commission of yes. people who regulate corporations in Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. The Oklahoma Corporation, that's like their specifically own. utilities. Utilities, yeah. Like their, their whole job. So, the you know, I first learned about the Oklahoma Corporation Commission um, – I think actually in driver's ed is when I learned about the corporation commission um, because that's when um, that's when I guess I was taught like about getting gas. I mean, I'd pumped gas for my parents before, but my driver's ed coach, because it was a coach was like, yeah. So when you get out and the gas and they, you got these little deals on the pumps that show that the pumps have to be calibrated. That's be calibrated every year and they have to be, Within, I think it's within like a couple of teaspoons or a couple of tablespoons because, of course, we use tablespoons and uh, teaspoons to calibrate our gas pumps. And so uh, my the coach that taught me how to drive said I should always check the pumps at my gas station and look mm-hmm. for the one that was calibrated such that I could get up to an extra three tablespoons of gas per gallon so I could get a, a good deal because that really – it really adds up over time, especially when I was pumping gas at 16 and gas was 96, 96 cents a gallon. That's when I learned about the Corporation Commission. But what what would be their like power in this situation? Can the corporation mandate that like a public utility like OGE, like you have to like you have to spend X number of dollars or you have to trim trees in every area of town so often? I mean, like to Andy's point, like yeah, it happens, but Um, Ashley and I moved recently, but in our old house, we lost power pretty frequently um, because we had a significant, significant trees in the alleyway along where the lines were. And I can tell you, we lived in that house for nine years and we had an Asplund truck in there trimming trees one time in like nine years. Now, when they did it, they trimmed the living daylights out of them. I mean, they go, they, they they gave the trees a freaking haircut, like no doubt, but like it was, it was once in almost 10 years. And so 
can the corporation commission say that they're required to trim trees are on all the lines once every three years? Like they have a time frame. Like what can the corporation commission do to ensure that these things are being maintained? Uh, and one thing I want to add to even that list that you gave of examples, Scott, is can the corporation commission require OG&E to provide credits for people for the amount of time that they lost power? Uh, there's so many Oklahomans and businesses um, that lost money because of having to throw away food or um, not having internet so they couldn't do their jobs or they didn't have power so that so people couldn't go to work. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of um, damage that has been done and disruption for people's lives. Can the Corporation Commission even play that role of saying, here's how this utility is going to help support Oklahoma in this season? I would say yes, but I don't know for sure either. I mean, to the point of educating ourselves on, you know, better, I mean, and going forward, you know, really also figuring out like, what are the things a corporation commission can do? What can I as a legislator do? What can our local government do? City councilors, mayor, you know, um, that's, you know, all the conversations going forward. And then, you know, how do we as legislators who also, who are not in charge of the corporation commission, but how do we, how do we hold them accountable throughout this and that we don't forget what happened? Um, and to your point, Bailey, just about the lost time from work and throwing food away. I mean, I reached out to Bailey actually late one evening. I felt bad because it was going into the weekend, but, you know, trying to also figure out relief efforts. And I'll say one thing that I commit to work on is um, funding for 211 being restored because we cut them during our budget fights a couple years ago. And, um, you know, they've been carrying the weight not only. Um, for this, but the pandemic as well. And they lost power for two or three days. They lost power. They lost, um, weren't able to get to their phones. From my understanding, where they go in emergency situations, the space is too small. It's too old. Um, and it's too small in a time of a pandemic um, because social distancing and people were quarantining and isolating. And so uh, I, I learned that a lot of those calls that, um, agencies that have come together to to be case managers essentially for for the folks who lost power and were displaced from their homes those phone calls were taking anywhere from 15 to 20 minutes at a time i mean i think some people have, i mean maybe they have by now but at least a week ago hadn't even had a return phone call and that that is not a a um i'm not complaining about that it's just that that's how high the need was and um, trying to get people to get the information and get everything through the process. Um, and so that's one area, at least for the legislature, that an area that I'm concerned about and that I commit to working to working on two on one's office is actually in my district. And so, um, you know, in times like that, where, you know, the relief efforts are there, OG&E did give half a million dollars to those efforts, but my request would to give more because I think I believe more is needed. Um, but people have been out of work and medications and food thrown away. I mean, I just, and yeah, people are still getting bills. I paid my og &E bill actually, uh, or I'm about to tomorrow. <laughs> so. No, I mean, we, I mean, there's uh, you know, we've, we've got, a, I got a friend that uh, has a, um, a, a property that's a house here that's vacant currently. 
Um, but the vacant house was without power for 14 days. Um, and she called on Jeannie to say, like, hey, are you going to even, like, waive my base fee? Like, there was there was no power for 14 days. The house is vacant. I'd never been anywhere. And they're like, absolutely not. <laughs> um, so I think that there, you know, there, there certainly needs to be something. Uh, I I understand that this put Ojini in a really tough spot. Like, and, and I do, like, I want to echo what, what you said, Representative Munson, about, like, um, going out to the, there's a, uh, I think as far as last heard, he's still in critical condition at the hospital. There was an out-of-state lineman who was uh, shocked um, working on a working on a transmission line, and those carry, I mean, a lot higher voltage than what comes into your house. Um, and uh, he was he was in the ICU for several days and may still be there. Um, that the job of being a a, a high wire, high voltage lineman is one of the most dangerous jobs that a person can do and to do it at night in the cold and in the wind and the rain makes it more dangerous. These guys spend years. I mean, it's like they spend years training to learn how to do this and it still is an incredibly dangerous job. So I think um, all of our uh, hats or I don't know, whatever else you wear that you might want to tip um, can, can, can be tipped to them, but from the, the, the folks maybe in the more kind of corporate PR financial bean countery side of things um, at, at Ogini, there's maybe a little work to be done. Well, in contacting the Oklahoma Corporation Commission. So for our listeners who have concerns or frustrations, they are the regulatory body that sets rates and makes decisions and oversees utilities. So it's important that if you have concerns or you have feedback or questions, contact your corporation commissioner so they can give you answers. Yes, and I wish I was equipped with this information right now, but maybe something to add as you're putting the episode together is listing out all the corporation commissioners, their email address when they meet. I don't know when they meet. Um, unfortunately, I don't have that at the top of my head, but I think that might be something good to add as a resource in your, your podcast notes because, um, I mean, even for me, I'll be paying much closer attention than I have in the past. Um, for myself, but also for my neighbors. I mean, I have neighbors who do not ha- did not have other places to go. And thankfully, the weather got warmer and they could be home and be outside and, and you know, um, at least, you know, not sit in a, a stale, cold house. You know, they were able to get out and get some sunshine. But what if that wasn't the case? What if the weather yeah. didn't turn? Um, and, and that's just scary to me. And again, in a time where people are struggling so much with being isolated and, and, and a virus that is, is still spreading around our state. Um, it's very lonely. And uh, I mean, I, I had two patients, one, I had one patient I had to check into a hotel so that he could have power so that he could run his oxygen concentrator because he depends on his oxygen concentrator um, and, and needed power. I had another patient who was in the hospital. Um, well, so she went, so she, her power went out. She really didn't want to go to the ER. So she went without power and without her oxygen for three days, got so sick that she needed to be hospitalized um, from going without power and without oxygen for three days, wound up in the hospital um, and even was ready to go home but had to be kept in the hospital for an extra 48 hours, which is not awesome um, in the middle, I mean, ever, but certainly in the middle of a global pandemic, but had to stay in the hospital for an extra 48 hours until her power was back on so she could go home. So like, 
I mean, those are very, very significant, obviously, financial costs, very significant, like, risks in terms of being someplace that's not <laughs> your home in the middle of a pandemic, and particularly when you're chronically ill. So um, this this has real um, consequences. You know, there's sp- the, the lost money of spoiled food is, like, no small thing, um, but but it has consequences even, like, beyond that. Yeah. Representative Munson, you've got a meeting to get to, I think. Yeah, here in a couple minutes. But I do want to say thank you and just thank you for elevating, you know, what's going on and highlighting where folks can be, where they can put some of their, you know, frustrations and energy and know that, you know, myself and my colleagues are committed to having conversations and doing the work and we will not let up. And so the ice storm may be over, but we'll keep working on um, and, and looking more closely at public utilities and, and making sure that people are, that we all understand that these these are necessities. These are not luxury items. These are things we need to live, especially in 2020, um, in a world where we're at home and working from home and, and doing everything um, from isolated spaces. So just thank you for taking the time to to help me elevate the issue. And, and I, I enjoy listening to you all. So I'm Excited to listen to this and hear myself, I guess, for a little bit. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for being here. And you're welcome. Come back anytime. Uh, I'm sure in the next, uh, you know, five or six months, we'll have a number of other issues. Oh, there will be. We would love to have your perspective. So, yeah. Okay. Sounds good. Y'all have a good day. Thank you. I want to add, uh, as Representative Munson leaves here, that it strikes me in this conversation that, and I think she's the one that hit on it most. We are living in the midst of a pandemic in a situation where many people feel a loss of control, like powerless to to fix a situation that is directly affecting their day-to-day life, right? And on top of that, we had another situation in which people feel powerless to repair, to fix um situation, right? To to stop the hurting. literally powerless. right, right, exactly. And and that's like the pandemic that is the undercurrent of everything in 2020 is difficult. Like I had a, I had a very um, a difficult conversation with my mother-in-law this morning where um, she was talking about like her struggles with everything that's going on and her friends and seeing her family. And, and I said the same thing, right? Like, you know, we had a moment to kind of commiserate of like, this sucks. And then again today, another, you know, 26, 2700 cases that were, uh, you know, announced today, bringing our levels to a yet another peak, right? And it's just a lot. And I, it's okay. Like I told her, she's like, I feel like I'm not handling this well. And I said, no one is handling this well. And if they are, I'm worried about them because this is not normal. This is not okay. And it sucks. I don't even think there is a lens to determine what well means in this season. No. And you know, I, I know men, many of our listeners are know Merrick and Casey Cornett. Um, they were pretty public with some of their posts this week. Like they, they had triplets a few weeks ago or a few months ago, and they have a toddler who's a uh, lion's two and a half and they live in the urban core. Right. And so they have big trees that went down and they lost power. And to be in the midst of a pandemic with two parents who work at home with triplets and a toddler and to have no power or internet for two weeks and, Casey posted like we're broken like this is not okay like we're gonna keep going and we'll find a way through it but like just know we are literally at the end of our rope and yeah man like and you know he acknowledges that they have some you know they have family support and they've got things that a lot of folks don't have 
but you know, my, my, my wife and mother-in-law went to a, a hotel for a few nights. We were fortunate to have a, a family member that had some points they could use to like help offset the cost. And they, the first night it was a really difficult night because the people in the room above them were loud. They said it sounded like kids were just running around, you know, at three in the morning. And so my mother-in-law spoke to the front desk and they, she said, she's like, it sounded like it was kids though. And she's like, yeah, it was a single mom with three kids, like under the age of five and she had a hard time. So we're going to, we're going to move her and we're really sorry. And, and we were like, it sucks. We didn't sleep, but also like, what can we do? Can we bring her some groceries? Like, is there something we can do to help? Because I can't imagine it's hard for all of us. And there's some lessons to be learned. And I think we would all be better off if we found a little kindness um, for our neighbors and recognize that we're all suffering in some way. And, and that and- isn't just kindness. I would even add to employers out there to have more patience and flexibility with people who are suffering in so many different ways, whether it's, you know, the inability to connect with their loved ones. I'm reading on Twitter all the time, people saying, I wanted to see my mom or wanted to see my grandmother. I wanted to see this loved one, but they're afraid to fly in because COVID cases are, you know, out the roof and, and it's not a safe time for me to be around my loved one. Like that has an impact or, you know, with the ice storm hitting and, and all of the, the domino effects that we just discussed, there's a lot of ways that like productivity just can't be. Yeah. It was. It's and it, so, like, it's a difference between rigidity and flexibility, right? Like we all, I think it's normal to be like, I just want it to be the way it used to be. And to like physically get kind of tightened up and be like, I don't want it to be this way. Like just take a deep breath, relax your shoulders, unclench your jaw. And let's recognize together that we all feel that way. Nobody wants this, right? People who wear masks don't want this. People who don't wear masks don't want this. Now we can mask wearing is a whole other conversation that we will maybe refrain from for a few minutes at least. But the fact is like, there's no, I guarantee there's no one in America that's like, yes, bring on more pandemic, make life worse, make more people die. Like, you know, make it more difficult to do literally everything. That's, that's not the way anyone's thinking. And because of that, like we all share something here and we should all share a desire for this to be as safe and to get this over with as quickly as we can. Now, there's some very data-driven scientific ways to make that happen. That like are hard. wearing masks. Like wearing masks, right? And they're all hard. And this is the deal. Like it is, and I've been, I've tried to refrain from tweeting about this stuff for a while. In the last few days, I've just had a hard time because we have to do hard things. Wearing a mask is not hard. It's literally the least you could do is just put a little piece of fabric over your face and go right. back to life otherwise normally. And right. I mean, and, and that's, that's it. Like, that's bananas to me. It's super and easy is, to if, save lives. If everyone would do like, if everyone would do that, we would be in such better shape. Like, I mean, that's, you know, I'm so, I'm so frustrated. I mean, I'm so frustrated like that. I'm still, I just, I don't know. I'm not going to go off on it. Cause we, I mean, we were already talking for 36 minutes and it's not anything that you guys haven't heard before or even have already said. It's just, it's not like, like I wear a mask all day, every day at work. Right. And like, I get it. 
I don't like it. I don't like wearing a mask. I don't like wearing a mask in the grocery store. I don't like not being able. I I don't I don't like this either. But like that's the only way out, right? Like yeah, I know we've got this. You know, Pfizer is saying that like their vaccine is ninety percent effective, and that's awesome. But here's the deal: there's three hundred fifty million people in America, um, right? Even assuming only eighty percent of them get the shot. That's 300 million people that need to get this vaccine and uh, they need two doses. That's 600 million doses of vaccine that have to be manufactured, that have to be distributed. That have, like, I think that there is the, I think there's real potential that that starts to happen and that we see progress on that by like, you know, April, May, June of next year. But like, yeah, we got a long way to go before it's April till, till, till April, May, June. Right. Like the yep. vaccines are not coming next week to make this better. Like the only way out of this is through. And the only way through is to follow the directions and understand that you are protecting yourself, but you're also protecting other people. Like we just need to care about each other a little bit. Right. Like I'm not asking you to like, like I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you like, you know, um, we 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 haven't talked Bible verses on this show in a long time, right? But like, there's uh, there's one that says "love your neighbor," and that is what you should do. But I'm not even saying like you don't even need to love your neighbor; you just need to like them enough to not wish them dead and wear a mask, right? Yeah. Like, and Scott, I want to bring in because I know we're we have other things that we need to discuss in the podcast. But before we get off the topic of COVID, uh, I want to lift that we have to adjust the way we think about freedoms in this country, right? It really blew my mind. There's a person who was just elected to Congress and she made this tweet about having her first session of new member orientation in DC where they were covering uh, COVID in Congress. And she said, she proudly told her freshman class that masks are oppressive. She said in Georgia, they work out, shop, and go to restaurants. They go to work, and they go to school without masks. My body, my choice. But the reality is The fact that she that said my body, my choice really got me. <laughs> your freedoms end when they suppress somebody else's freedoms, right? So you don't have the freedom to spread COVID and give somebody a disease that could potentially kill them in this season, right? That's not your right. But you do have the right to be able to protect yourself and protect others. And so I think that's an important adjustment within the American psyche that you are protecting other people's freedoms and your own by wearing masks. Yeah. So not yeah. even just caring about each other, but this is how we protect one another and how we elevate public health and public safety is by wearing masks. And you can even use your mask to demonstrate your freedom of speech, right? Like if, as you, your mask could say, I don't want to wear this. I think this is censorism. Okay. You can, you can put that on your mask, right? Um, Tulsa city council member, Kara Joy, um, the uh, Perry the other day, she had a pink mask that said mandate that she had made specifically because she was going to be on stage with the governor, like as a way to make a statement, which I thought was pretty ingenious. Like, I don't think he and, was a fan. And, and that's OK, because that's how this all works. And, you know, nobody wants a lockdown, right? Like nobody, nobody, nobody wants a lockdown. Like that's not no one wants to go back. But I'm just I mean, 
and I don't, I do not have any, like, I don't have any, in, I don't have any inside information. Like I'm not like on the governor's task force or the mayor's advisory board, or I'm just, I'm just, I'm just a guy. Okay. But I mean, I think that if something doesn't change and I mean, I mean, change rapidly, a lockdown is where we're headed because we're not going to have any choice. Right. Well, like, I mean, the choice is, is death, right? Like there's a very real, real chance that America will see several hundred thousand people die in the next few months, like during winter, right? right. If, if people right. continue to do what they're doing, or we have a big lockdown that will cost the economy, you know, in the neighborhood of like $50 billion a day or something. So while right. we've been recording, President Trump uh, announced in his mind or his opinion is that Pfizer's vaccine may be available to the general public in April, right? Obviously first line healthcare providers get it first. Um, so even, and I, I would wager that the president's timelines are often very optimistic, right? In this situation. And so for him to say, optimistically, the general public wouldn't get it till April, that's six months from now, we, you know, just to put it, you know, in your head that it's going to be at least six months before most of us are able to get it. Scott, as a frontline healthcare provider, you'll be the guinea pig and you get it first. Between now and April, right? It's a lot of lives. I mean, let's say, three let's, jumbo jets a day. A let's say that it is, let's say that it is six months, right? Just for the sake of, you know, for the sake of whatever, we'll say that it's, that it's six months and let's say that we average, I'm going to say average because it could be, I mean, it could be significantly higher than that, but let's say that for six months at 30.5 days per month, that's what is that? That's like 183 days. And let's say that we average, let's say that we average 1500 deaths a day, which I think could easily be conservative. Um, That's another 275,000 people dead on top of the quarter of a million people who have died already. And that's at 1500 a day. Right. Um, so you're talking about a t- uh, half a million deaths from coronavirus, And that's what we know. About, right. Like, and, and there's reason to think that that could be undercounted. Um, it's we don't just have the right to kill people. Scott. We just not have the right to do that. Not with the virus. Yeah, I mean, only with your gun. Yeah. On your yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just, it's infuriating and it's sad. And I see every day, every day I walk into a room and have to tell people, okay, please put your mask back on or please pull your mask up. So it covers your nose or, you know, um, anyway, I digress. I'll just get Well, okay. CBS (laughs) just announced today that, after two days of returning back to the classroom in person, they've had to reverse the policy and go back to virtual learning through the end of the semester because cases continue to rise and Oklahoma is in the red. And so it doesn't seem like there's energy around doing something beyond what we're doing. The concern lifted by the governor and Secretary Fry has been, well, if we tell people they have to do something, they're going to not do it to spite being told to do it. And so it's this really weird conundrum of it's like trying if to get we my do kids something, to- things get bad, but if we do nothing, things get bad. 
right? It's like trying to get my kids to clean up their room, right? We're trying to be like, how can I reverse psychology this? Well, at some point you have to be like, clean up the room yeah, or else. Or and there's else, a consequence, right? right? And that's the thing, right? And um, you gotta you gotta put on your big boy pants, as someone once said. Well, let's um, let's pivot away from coronavirus because we can all sit here and just bitch at one another about this because we're all on the same page, as are many of our listeners, I'm sure. Uh, but let's pivot back towards what we talked about two weeks ago in our episode, Oklahoma County shenanigans, because that haven't stopped. Um, it's been a weird couple of weeks. So I think we left it where the uh, Oklahoma County Board of County Commissioners had sent money to the jail trust, the CARES Act money to the jail trust, and the jail trust did not have a concrete plan for how to spend that money. And so they sent it. Since then, they have voted to send part of it back, right? So I think they've got a plan. And legitimately, like About I think some of, million. Yeah, some of the money needs to be used for the jail for like, actual COVID related things, right? Maybe HVAC, personnel issues, all that stuff, right? Like that's related to COVID, which is a an applicable expense and also definitely needed. But they recognize they could not spend all the money by the end of the year and they it needs to be spent and it needs to be put back in the hands of of Oklahomans who are hurting and need this, right? Businesses, individuals, whatever. So they sent that money back to the county or they tried to but in the midst of that, uh, Commissioner Calvi, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is that he tried to like terminate the meeting so that they couldn't vote to receive the money. He tried to intervene in there. Yeah. So he they said basically that the reason he intervened to stop the meeting was because there were county staffers who tested positive for COVID. So that's the rationale thing of why he canceled it so quickly and he claimed can I say something other commissioners are playing politics yeah yeah so it's no, so they, they they called the meeting to order and commissioner calvi immediately moved uh he immediately moved to postpone the meeting he got a second from mr hooten um and then commissioner so bloomer i think he do what was it hooten or i think hooten seconded it and then commissioner bloomer said um hold on let's stop and then they tried they did not vote to pass to postpone the meeting and then uh they heard a bunch of testimony commissioner bloomer made a motion to accept the money they tried to table it it's, there's all kinds of shenanigans that are i'm not entirely sure are consistent with robert's rules of order mm, no but yeah it was it was a weird meeting that involved a, a a trumpet being played and possibly spreading corona around the room it was mm. correct me if i'm wrong but i think where we've ended is that the jail trust is retaining some money to pay for actual COVID related expenses. That's the plan. The other money's going back to the County, but what are they doing with it? Are they, are they giving it out to people? Well, one of the ideas that's on the table is using it for small business relief. And so I don't know how much they will be voting on that, but that is something that seems like it has broad support among county officials i mean that's a that's a really good idea it, i will acknowledge that today is um, november 13th and they have to spend the money by december 31st right so that gives them 45 days to come up with a way to give the money out actually and then actually transfer the funds i guess that's the deal as long as they get it transferred out whether or not the entity spends them is up to them but um, the county has to get rid of the funds in the next 45 days so 
they're going to be down to the wire, right? And it's difficult for businesses that have been hurting for months and months and months to now, you know, for some, it may be too little too late. And I hope that they'll even consider using the funds for community supports. There are a lot of organizations that could use the dollars to infuse back into communities to help Oklahomans in need. Um, we're seeing a magnified impact of COVID plus the um, remnants of the ice storm that are really still affecting people. And there are a lot of community organizations that can help people um, who are being uh, harmed by this pandemic as the cases go up. And so I hope that DA Prater's interpretation of how those dollars can be reevaluated to get that money in the hands of community organizations that can put it to good use. Well, and they had an organization at the meeting and it's their, um, you guys tell me, tell me who it was. I'm thinking of their initials, but I can't remember the whole name that is, I think essentially what's going to happen is they're going to be in charge of, they're going to be in charge of um, reviewing applications for the funds and then dispersing the funds to these businesses who need it. One of the issues that came up and this is, it's kind of technical, but so that these, these will not be businesses in Oklahoma City. They have to be businesses in Oklahoma County because Oklahoma right. City got separate CARES Act funds that they use for this purpose. But so these will be businesses that are in Oklahoma County, but not Oklahoma Like City. Bethany, Warwick, yeah. Right. Spencer. And, right. Yeah. And Commissioner Bloomert mentioned that on her, when she was on with us a couple of weeks ago. Um, and that makes a lot of sense, right? Because small towns, right? Like Bethany, Warwickers, Spencer, those places. I don't know that they received CARES Act dollars. Maybe they did, but I don't think so. I think it went to bigger metro cities. And so this is an excellent use. This is exactly why money went to counties to reach out to these smaller communities. And and that's a good deal, right? Because if you are a small business owner and you, you own an antique store on 39th Street in Bethany, right? Like uh, people aren't coming in necessarily to shop at your business and you are having a hard time making rent, I'm sure, for the last six months. Or there are so many businesses that don't have the capacity or means to readjust in the way to meet the needs of the consumer. So if you don't have the technology available to be able to take online orders and be able to do delivery of some sort in lieu of um, having fewer customers being able to come inside, or let's say you're a business owner who has um, underlining conditions that put you more at risk to COVID. There are so many businesses that have a hard time even adjusting in this season. So I know that those dollars to support many of our small businesses would be crucial, especially in some of the smaller areas of uh, Oklahoma County. Like Sophisticuts in Bethany, which is a haircut place. And I'm sure that they have not had the same business. Sophisticuts? With a name like Sophisticuts, I think you deserve to be saved. I mean, that's... It's uh, not as good as Blast and Cast Taxidermy that I used to live next to down in Texas, but... Blasting <laughs> blasting Cats Taxidermy? <laughs> Close. Cannabless is still my favorite business name right now. So What's that? Cannabless. Cannabless, yes. Is that up on Western? There's a few locations now, so oh, well, I'm makes seeing sense. them pop up everywhere. There's like, a church on every corner. Yeah, no, it's Scott, it's cast and blast taxidermy. 
Oh, well, that makes more sense. But I'm sure there's a casting, a blasting cats, whatever you said. Yeah. Yeah. Blasting cast. It was next blasting door, cats. next door to Continental Hairlines, which I think was a sure. haircut sure. show. Where in Texas did you live? I lived in Brenham, um, Brenham, Texas, home of Bluebell Ice Cream. Okay. All right. I'll well, the Bluebell jingle, but I'll refrain. That's right. No, it's a it's in uh it's in Washington County, Texas, down on the Brazos River near Washington the Brazos, which is where um you know Texas uh, became a state basically. And it's the Blue Bonnet capital of Texas, also the baseball capital of Texas. It's about 45 minutes south of College Station, um, home of Blinn College, which has is a community college, has a really great uh, baseball program there. It's really pretty. It's a really cool town. The more you know. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and say that of the businesses that you named, uh, Bluebell is winning the branding war in Brenham, Texas. Well, yeah. I mean, it's hard to compete with that. They have a beautiful campus. Uh, there was a, a one day a month or so where they would make the brownies for the brownie bite ice cream, and the whole town would smell like brownies, which is great because then I moved from there back to Edmond, where about once a month it would smell like dog food, and that was that was less good. You know, one day I want to have a business that is so successful that instead of having an office, we have a campus. Ooh, we could just you know, refer to. I mean, we've we've got the, the studio, and we could just start referring. This. Yeah, let's fix this campus. campus. Here on the mm-hmm. let's pod this campus. Uh, we should do that. No, let's. Make I mean, there's nothing stopping us, right? We're we're kind of rambling now. I just, Scott has an important announcement here to to end it end us on. I just learned this. Um, so apparently, there is a new movie coming out for the holiday season. Uh, I think it's uh, I think it's going direct to video, direct to streaming. Um, this movie is called Fat Man, uh, and it stars. Um, uh, you know, I would say that I'll just kind of quote the article here. It uh, features renowned anti semite. Mel Gibson playing and well, hang on, un- stop. Okay, what? stop. It says renowned anti-Semite, or was that yes, your the new movie? No, it says I'm quoting the new movie. Fat Man is a dark spin on Santa Claus, featuring renowned anti-Semite Mel Gibson as an unhinged Santa. Holy moly! It, what? Are you, that's not the official. Like that is the byline. That's from not the, the movie. It's not from a blog. This is from an article on the Daily Beast. Reviewing okay, the movie. Yeah. Okay, so but it's the reviewer's commentary. It's not like from the production house. Oh no, it's not no, it's not it's not like no in a in a world with renowned anti-Semite no, Mel Gibson. No, it's not it's not that. No. Uh well now we've ruined it. <laughs> I don't I don't think we ruined it, Scott. I don't think that I don't think the ruining happened with us. <laughs> but somebody somebody made a movie called Fat Man where Mel Gibson plays a deranged Santa Claus. I don't so the 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 picture and it's like it's a it's a drawing done in the style of a Norman Rockwell, but it's Mel Gibson looking very angry with a parka holding a pistol in one hand with cut off gloves and the other hand having what looks like a chalkboard that says naughty or nice and behind him is I don't know if it's supposed to be an elf with a machine gun, but um yeah, it's uh, it's very strange. So I just looked it up on IMDb, and it says uh, it comes out on the seventeenth. So that's in a few days. Next week, Santa Claus must contend with a hitman sent from a disappointed child. Well, there you go. 
That's what they what what do they, what do they call it on uh, the Daily Show? Your moment of zen. That's your moment of zen. Is that's, Fat Man with with Mel Gibson playing a deranged Santa Claus? That's that's something else. And that brings us to the end of this episode. <laughs> Listener, thank you for being here. And what a roller coaster this has been. We we take two weeks <laughs> off and we're just out of the habit and lost all of our marbles. Uh, listeners, I hope you're doing okay. I hope you're warm and your power in the internet has been restored. If it hasn't, my condolences. I tweeted at Cox today and got a quick response. That was very welcome. Um, if you would like to contact us with the program, please send us an email at podcast at letsfixthisok.org. Uh, you can also hit us up on Twitter at, at letsfixthisok. Uh, Let's Pod This is produced by me, Scott, and Bailey. We are a production of Let's Fix This and a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network based right here in Oklahoma City. Our theme music is called Rhino Funk by artist So Down. And let's fix this as a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization. We appreciate your voting. We hope you'll do it every single election for which you are eligible. And remember that decisions are made by those who show up. 